United we stand, divided we fall. It was a sad day when Israel divided into two kingdoms. Later in Israel's history, the Jews dispersed and did not come back together as a nation until 1948. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It is also true that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is unity. But how do we maintain such unity? We must guard our hearts, keep short accounts with God and others, practice confession and repentance, eagerly desire unity, walk in the Spirit, and remember the words of the psalmist King David who wrote, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. When Jesus spoke those words, he was referring to Satan's kingdom in hell. But he could just have easily been talking about any earthly kingdom, including ancient Israel. Today, Ron takes us to the book of 1 Kings, a time in Israel's history when it was inching ever so closely to a divided kingdom. Stay with us now, or you can visit somethinggoodradio.org and listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out our digital library, where Ron uses his 30 years of Bible teaching ministry to answer some of your toughest questions. From his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, First Kings, United or Divided. United we stand, divided we fall. How many times have you heard a phrase like that? It's a popular motto used to inspire unity and collaboration. And it's true, united we stand, but divided we fall. That's true of any organization. It's even true of a nation. The ancient Greek storyteller Aesop is perhaps the originator of this phrase. You find uh, references to it in two of his fables, the four oxen and the lion and the bundle of sticks. But uh, back in 1858, there was somebody else who had unity on his mind, um, Abraham Lincoln. He delivered the House Divided speech at the Illinois State Capitol after he accepted the Republican nomination for United States Senator. And at that time, he, he quoted uh, these famous words from Jesus, a house divided against itself cannot stand, said the future president of the United States. And then I think of another place where unity is the theme. It's actually on the great seal of the United States of America, that Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And it's a reminder that we are a unified coalition of people and states. Now why all this talk about unity? Because ancient Israel might have benefited from a motto like united we stand. We're in the book of First Kings. This is our stopping off place on the ultimate road trip through the Bible and First Kings records a time when Israel fell into civil war and divided into two kingdoms. Now the divide did not happen until after the reign of King Solomon but his slide into immorality and idolatry near the end of his life 
contributed to the divide. In fact, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 11, and in response to Solomon's disobedience, the Lord says, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Sobering words. And a tragic time in Israel's history where the United Kingdom under which David ruled, or over which David ruled, and over which Solomon ruled, two consecutive 40-year reigns now becomes a divided kingdom. Let's rewind history a little bit, and I want to take a closer look at King Solomon's glorious reign over this united monarchy. Uh, that's a, a, a major portion of 1 Kings, the first half of it. I've given you a chart in your notes that gives us a bird's eye view of the book of Kings, and I think it's important to get that. Uh, the book's 22 chapters really falls into two categories. Chapters 1 to 11 detail the 40-year reign of King Solomon over a united monarchy, which he inherited from his father, King David. Now, following the death of Solomon that we read about in chapter 11, chapters 12 through 22 record the reign of many kings over a nation that has divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. This can get a little bit confusing as you read through Scripture, but the northern kingdom, a confederation of, uh, uh, of ten tribes of Israel, is referred to from this point forward as Israel. The southern kingdom, made up of Judah and Benjamin, is referred to as, uh, as, as, as Judah. And Solomon... From chapter 12 forward was the last king to reign over a united Hebrew kingdom. Now the ten tribes of the northern kingdom from chapters 12 forward existed as an independent state until the Assyrians took Israel captive in 731 B.C. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin also existed then as an independent state until they were taken captive by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., but in both cases, the Lord sent the captors to punish and discipline Israel for turning from the one true God to serve other idols. It's the tragic story of the history of the nation of Israel here as they move from a united kingdom now to a divided kingdom. Now, 1 Kings begins near the end of David's 40-year reign as Israel's king, and just as he is reaching his, uh, his end, Adonijah tries to seize the throne, <laughs> and he does so unsuccessfully. David heard about this, and he quickly anointed his son Solomon as his successor. And he rejoices at the end of chapter 1 by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, and my own eyes seeing it. He got to see the transfer of the kingdom from himself to his son Solomon. Quickly, Solomon eliminates any threats to his throne. That's just what they did back then. But during that time, the Lord spoke to Solomon in a dream and invited him to ask for anything he desired. Can you imagine such a request? Can you imagine if the Lord came to you and said, ask me for anything? What, what would you put before the Lord? Well, Solomon's response is famous. This young king, according to chapter 3 and verse 9, says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your people? <laughs> what a response. 
I mean, Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for long life. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for the lives of his enemies. Instead, he requested wisdom from above to govern the people entrusted to his leadership. And this pleased the Lord immensely. In response, God gave Solomon a discerning heart plus riches and honor and the long life he did not request. In fact, the Lord says in chapter 3 and verse 13, no other king shall compare with you all your days. And uh, no other king did. The Davidic dynasty, which started under King David, and uh, David ruled for 40 years, continued under Solomon for another 40 years. And Solomon um, really became the envy of the world. At that time, he was the king of kings, as it were. Other kings bowed down to him. Says Solomon, you, you are the greatest. He ruled over everything and everyone from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River, from the Red Sea to the Lebanon. Uh, what a glorious dynasty it was, the Davidic dynasty, now reaching its zenith under the rule of King Solomon. Now, very quickly, Solomon put his wisdom on display, and one of the um, more well-known stories that emerges out of 1 Kings is found in chapter 3, when he adjudicates a dispute between two prostitutes who both claim to be the mother of the same child. You remember that story? And it confounded everybody else, but not Solomon. And the way he resolved the dispute and the way he... He, he made the real mother of that child emerge, made everybody just go, wow, the wisdom of Solomon. And he was off and running. It is no exaggeration to say that Solomon was the wisest guy in the room, no matter the subject. Uh, you, you turn to this subject or that subject or another subject, Solomon was the wisest man in the room. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 and 30 says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was a man of extraordinary intellect and ability. Solomon's wisdom ranged from theology to zoology, uh, from architecture to horticulture, uh, poetry, philosophy, you name it. Solomon was the wisest guy in the room. And in this way, Solomon is a type of Christ. I love the Christ connections that we've been able to make on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Every book of the Bible points us in some way to the Christ who is to come from an Old Testament perspective. And the book of 1 Kings doesn't disappoint here. Solomon is a type of Christ in what way? Well, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 says of Jesus in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I, I think of that um, understanding of Jesus, who is the Christ. And I think of the time when the boy Jesus, just 12 years old, was left behind by his parents in Jerusalem. Remember that story? A parent's nightmare, right? You go to Walmart, you get, get home, you're like, I forgot my kids, right? Well, that happened to Mary and Joseph. And here's Jesus back in Jerusalem. They find him in the temple, this 12-year-old boy, and he is confounding the teachers. They say his understanding and his wisdom, I mean, it just raised everybody's eyebrows back then. Up next, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones 
Lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's message is from Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good digital library. You'll find that at somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, you can also download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, please be sure to share your prayer request with us by using the Explore feature right at the top of the homepage. And that's where you'll find the How Can We Pray For You option. As you know, our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. King David had wanted to build a temple to the Lord in Israel, but God told David that his son Solomon would be the one to build it. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message. First Kings, united or divided. The Bible says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Of course, later in the epistles, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, this is Jesus Christ. I don't care how many degrees you have. You you can have alphabet soup past your name with all the degrees. It pales in comparison of the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that as believers in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that incredible? And this is all pictured and portrayed in, in Solomon as a foreshadowing of this one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not surprisingly, of the five wisdom books in the Old Testament, and this is a future road trip that we will take through the five wisdom books of the Old Testament, three of them are penned by Solomon. I'm talking about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and of course the Song of Solomon. Solomon also turned his father's dream into reality by building and furnishing God's house. You remember how David wanted to build God a house. And the Lord said, no, David, you're a man of warfare. You won't build the house. You can raise the funds for it, but you won't build it. But David, I will build a house for you. And that was the rise of the Davidic dynasty, of the Davidic covenant that we learned about in 2 Samuel. And, uh, but it was Solomon who would actually put that dream into reality. He would take the funds that David raised, and then some, and build the first temple. Up until this time, the Lord met with the people in a traveling worship facility called the Tabernacle. Now the temple would be built under Solomon, and he spared no expense. Solomon built the glorious temple with cedars from Lebanon. If you were a wealthy person back then, (laughs) the best building materials came from the cedars of Lebanon. And then Solomon overlaid it with so much gold, I mean, it just dazzled uh, the eyes. Chapter seven tells us that the labor force uh, required to build the worship facility, the temple, neared two 100,000 people. There were 3,200 chief officers who just managed the skilled labor. And it took seven years to complete the temple. And it became, you know, one of the wonders of the world at that time. Chapter 8 records the celebration and the dedication of the temple on opening day. It's worth just reading chapter 8. Uh, just to read Solomon's prayer of dedication and the, the wise words that he used to remind the people on that day of what God was doing in their midst. The zenith of 
the Davidic dynasty was, was, was on its way. And it was a glorious day when the temple was built and the temple was open and the people had uh, this place of worship. By the way, Solomon took another 13 years to build his own palace. <laughs> uh, you know, work, work that. Seven years to build God's, 13 years to build his own palace. And, and it was quite glorious as well. So Solomon's fame grows. And this is really in the first 20 years of his reign where the Davidic dynasty is reaching its zenith, even greater than his uh, father David in terms of wealth and honor and prestige and prosperity and all of that. News of what the Lord had done for the king and for the nation uh, even reached the queen of Sheba. She was the ruler of the Sabaeans in the southern part of Arabia. And when she heard uh, what God was doing and uh, who Solomon was, she was inspired to make a long journey, 1,200 miles on camelback to Jerusalem to see for herself if the stories of Solomon's wisdom and wealth and glory and honor were actually true. And when the queen arrived, you can read about this in chapter 10, her eyes popped wide open. She could not believe what she actually saw with her own eyes. She said to Solomon, chapter 10, verse 6, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and uh, my own eyes had seen it. And behold, she says, the half of it was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. And out of respect for the king, and this was the custom of the day, the queen of Sheba brought him spices and gold. It was great to be Solomon because just people brought you all kinds of stuff, gold and silver and spices, and his wealth just continued to grow that way. In return, though, chapter 10 and verse 13 tells us this is what Solomon did for the queen. King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba, listen to this, all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. And so she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. I want, you, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Let's just slow down in verse 13 of chapter 10. Here the queen of Sheba comes, travels 1,200 miles. You know, she's saying to herself, I gotta see if all this talk about Solomon is true. And she gets there and her eyes are popping out. It's beyond anything she, she could imagine. Uh, she brings her gifts to the king and then the king turns around and lavishes her the text says, with everything she asked for. And not only everything she asked for, but everything she desired. The implication is there are some things that she wanted, but maybe she felt, I don't know, it wasn't appropriate to ask for it. But Solomon kind of peeked into her heart, gave her everything she asked for, everything she desired. And then on top of that, there was something called the king's bounty. It's like the cherry on top of the, you know, the uh, ice cream sundae. And she walked away lavished in wealth and thinking, what in the world just happened here? We've been making some Christ connections along the way. This was, this was my favorite part of my study this week, was to see something in its fullness that I, I really hadn't seen before. But um, the way Solomon lavishes Queen Sheba reminds me of something the Apostle Paul wrote 
to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Have you heard this before? Now unto him, that is the Lord, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Again, I want to make a Christ connection here, and I want you to put on your uh, Bible prophecy thinking cap here a little bit this morning. The Davidic dynasty is a foreshadowing of the future reign of Jesus Christ first over his earthly or millennial kingdom. This comes toward the end of the age after the seven-year tribulation period. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Bible talks about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. When he will come back as the son of God and the son of David and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and reign for a thousand years. I believe that is a literal, physical kingdom on this earth. The Davidic kingdom, starting with King David, the 40-year reign, as glorious as that was, is a foreshadowing and a picture of that aspect of Jesus' future reign. The continuation of the dynasty under Solomon's rule and, and, and the zenith to which it climbed is a picture then of the eternal reign of Jesus Christ beyond the 1,000-year millennial reign into eternity. And here's the idea. You know, when Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, I, I think in part he wants us to imagine the peace and rest, the wisdom and knowledge, the wealth and glory, the fame and honor of the Davidic dynasty which experienced its peak splendor under the reign of King Solomon. Are you still with me? It is impossible to imagine what the glory of heaven will be like. Now we see but a dim reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. If you missed part of today's teaching, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66, from Chicago, Illinois, to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get Your Kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the Biblical Route 66. Join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is now available as a two-volume set covering the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. For a gift of $50 or more, request your copy of the set. When you order the print books, you will also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, 
and eight ebooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volumes 1 and 2, through the Old and New Testaments, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Request both volumes of this important book today. You'll be glad you did. Now, here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. And there's an old saying, there's no fool like an old fool. And Solomon played that part, even though he wrote the book of Proverbs about the wise road and the foolish road. Solomon took the foolish road in his old age. Uh, Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. You can be an old man or an old woman and make the stupidest, most foolish choices that have long-ranging consequences. And this is what happened uh, with Solomon. Uh, This evil angered the Lord so much that he said to Solomon, I'm going to strip the kingdom from the hands of your son. 